Good evening, everyone. Good evening. Good evening. Welcome to Emmaus. And like uh, Bernadette, in you know, she introduced me. My name is Tina Lee, and I am from Chicago, Illinois, born and raised, and Midwest. <laughs> and I also, like she mentioned, was a student here, sitting in the crowd. And tonight, I'm really excited to share the word of God with you um tonight. <laughs> Very excited. Uh, but before we do that, let me pray. Please close your eyes and pray with me. Father, I thank you, Lord, for tonight. And God, I thank you that it's in your presence that we find freedom. It's in your presence that we find joy. It's in your presence that, Lord, we are fully satisfied, God. And Lord, I pray that as the word goes out tonight, Lord, give us fresh revelation of who you are and who we are in you so holy spirit we invite you into this room come and have your way if we're sleepy god i pray that you will wake us up hmm. wake us up god and refresh us in your presence in jesus name i pray amen amen hmm Tonight's passage is from Luke chapter 15, and many of you guys will be familiar with this passage. It's called the parable of the prodigal son. The parable of the prodigal son. And so I want us to turn to Luke 15. I, I'm going to read this passage for you, so follow along with me, okay? All right. I'm going to read 15.1 and then 11 through 32. Let's go. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Verse 11. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of my property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in his father uh, in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you and I never disobeyed your command. 
Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes? You killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Amen. So tonight, as we read, I want to take you on a journey by digging into this parable. And you guys are probably very familiar with this parable. And many of you, I'm sure you heard uh, sermons about the younger son. Correct? The younger son. But here, as, as you can see, it says there was a man who had two sons. Two sons, not just one. Okay? And there are things that we desire. That we desire, right? Freedom. Freedom. What does freedom mean? This, and I looked in the dictionary, and it says, the state of not being imprisoned or enslaved. That is freedom. Okay? And there's another definition I want us to remember. is lost. Ruined or destroyed physically or morally. This was one of the definitions. So keep that in mind as you listen to this sermon. And prodigal. Recklessly extravagant, having spent everything. Keep in mind these three definitions, okay? But before I go into this passage, I want us to first go into, I'm going to first summarize the younger son. The younger son, okay? So here the younger son, he asks for his inheritance. He asks for a share of an estate, correct? And when usually when you get the estate from the father, the father needs to be dead, But the father in this case is not dead. He is alive. He is very much alive. He is probably not going to die anytime soon. But the son was saying, father, give me the estate. Give me my inheritance. This, in that culture, even today, is just rude. Just disrespectful. What? Give me your, like, you want my inheritance? You want your inheritance now? That's something you get after the father passes away. And what the, father, what the son was basically saying was, Father, I just want you to be dead. <laughs> this younger son just wanted his father's things and not his father. Okay? And, you know, he, he was being a son, the younger son, but later on he just got sick of it. And he's like, I'm done with this. I want freedom now. I want my freedom now. So give me my inheritance. Give me what I deserve. Right? And so the younger son was saying, I want to just leave. And that's exactly what he did. But here we see how the father responds. The father's response is even more, it can be slightly offensive to us. It's a little startling because the father doesn't get angry. This little boy disrespects him and basically saying, I want you dead. But the father's response is he just gives the property. He gives the estate. And back then, the Greek word translated as property here is the word bios, which means life. The son was basically asking his father to tear his life apart by giving his share of the inheritance. And what did the father do? He did exactly that. He tore his life apart. And he said, here you go. And I'm reading this book by Tim Keller called The Prodigal God. And many of the examples I give tonight will be from this book. 
But he sums it up like this. The father patiently endures a tremendous loss of honor as well as the pain of rejected love. Instead of responding in anger, his father continues to love his son. Oh. But after squandering all this money, right, the father gives the estate, the son leaves, he does all his thing, right, he goes buck wild, he goes crazy, he meets with women, he drinks everything, da 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 and then he's, he finds himself in a pig's pen. He finds himself with pigs. And he realizes that he's failed in life. He realizes his desire for freedom ended up in his own shame. So later he sits there and he's like, man, he looks at the pigs and he's like, they look like they're getting fed better than me. You know what? I'd rather just go back home and say, Father, I, it's better for me to be a hired man, a hired man. And I'll pay off my debts in that way. So he's planning all these things, right? To go back to his father and say, Father, I'll be a hired man. Man, man, okay? Craftsman, whatever. And let me pay off my debt. Let me pay off my debt. But how does the father respond? When he sees his son coming, he runs. And listen, he runs. During this time, okay, Middle Eastern patriarchs, dads, will not run after their son. They won't lift up. This is like, it's very vulnerable, right? But they won't even lift up their rope and they won't run to their son. They will not do that. Yet this father had no shame. He had nothing to hide. He was so ecstatic to see his son that was once lost, found. So he runs after him. He runs after him and he embraces him. Whoa, that's like another level. It's not just running after him, but he embraces him. He kisses him. In front of people. In front of people. That's mind-boggling, right? He kisses him. And after that, what, what does he, he give? He gives the best robe. And the best robe, that means it was his robe. So that's a sign of him saying, he's restored back into the family. I'm restoring you. I'm covering you. I'm covering your nakedness, and I'm bringing you back into the family. I'm bringing you back into the family. And the father celebrates the restoration of his son. So here we see that the youngest son desired freedom, yet he ended in loss. He was destroyed physically, and though he recklessly spent everything, the father who represents Father God extravagantly loved on his son. This story is quite familiar to you. I'm sure you have friends. I had plenty of friends, let me be honest. I had plenty of friends that have this testimony of, man, I want to just get up rid of, you know, I wanted to go buck wild, and they went buck wild. They did everything that they wanted, and then they received the extravagant love of the father, and now they're pastors. For example... <laughs> For example, <laughs> many of our staff have this testimony, okay? And they become pastors. <laughs> and to be honest, for me personally, I don't have this story. 
I didn't live a reckless life. I lived a very safe life. You know? And I will share a little bit more as we go into the second son. As you see, the first son, this story of the first, the younger son, it doesn't just end. This parable doesn't just end with the younger son being restored. But now we go into the older son. Oh. And for me, it's very humbling. Okay? It's very humbling. How does the older son respond to the younger son's coming back home? It says in verse 25, now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry. The older son was angry. And how the older son responds is he refused to go in his father, uh, but he was angry and refused to go in his father. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf. The, uh, the elder son responds in anger. And here you see how the younger son disgraces his father. How does the younger son disgrace his father? He says, Father, give me my inheritance. I'd rather have you dead. I'd rather have you dead. And he left, took the inheritance, left, came back. Father embraced him. And here I want you to see how not just the younger son but the older son also disgraced his father. Also disgraced his father. How? He hears festivity. He hears people celebrating his brother's coming. Right? And the older son responds in anger and doesn't even go in to celebrate. Because he's filled with so much bitterness. He's like, what? What? And... This not going into the celebration is disgracing the father. Because he forced the father to come out to him. He forced the father to come out to him. And this is very demeaning because the father is coming out, leaving the crowd, leaving his guests. And he is speaking to his older son. He left his guest. To see his older son. And the brother is angry of the cost of everything. He's like, Father, you didn't even get me fattened calf. Fattened calf, what? You gave him a fattened calf? You didn't give me anything, not even a little tiny goat. Right? And here, the brother's also angry because there was a cost. There was a cost to having the younger son back. And in this passage, we're able to see how the young, older son, his heart was hardened towards his father. His heart, just like the younger son, 
wasn't for his father. The older, the younger son, right? His heart was, I'd rather have you dead. Same thing the elder son was, I'd rather have you dead. I'd rather have you dead. He wasn't serving his father out of a heart of gratitude. He wasn't serving his father to just love on his father. He had motives. He had ulterior motives. And to go further into how he disrespects his father, right? Here in verse 29, he says, look, look. These many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. He also disrespects his father by the way he talks to him. How dare you say, look, you got nothing. You did nothing for me. Can you see where the young older son's heart is at right now? Can you, can you feel it? Yeah, he's angry. He's angry. Yet how does the father respond? In verse 31, he basically, he still wants his son to come. He still wants his son, son to come into the feast, to come join them, to let go of his pride and to just join them and celebrate his brother. So tonight, I want to go deeper into the older son's heart issues. Okay? Because it's very interesting how this story ends for both sons. It's very interesting how it ends. Because the younger son, we see that he was lost, but then he realizes that he was lost, and he comes back. Right? But the older son, the story actually doesn't end. It doesn't end. The younger son left the father literally, physically, and morally. He just left. He literally left and came back. However, the older son, he didn't leave the house. Yet everything about him, internally, he left the father. Everything in him left the father. And this is... Scary. This parable wasn't, because if you see in verse 1, it was saying how the tax collectors and sinners drew near to Jesus. And it says that Pharisees and scribes grumbled. And they grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And so here in this parable, Jesus wasn't focusing on the younger son. He was actually trying to tell the Pharisees, come back. God loves you. Just like the younger son, the older son was a prodigal son who left the father. The older son alienated alienated his self alienated himself from his father. His pride, his self-righteousness. Father, do you see how much I've done for you? Blinded him. Blinded him. And he had thought, I didn't do anything wrong. If you see the end of his responses, I didn't do anything wrong. 
I didn't do anything wrong. Tim Keller says it this way. Sin is not just breaking the rules. It is putting yourself in the place of God as Savior, Lord, and Judge. Just as each son sought to displace the authority of the father in his own life. Both of them, they were their own Savior. Both of them desired their own freedom. Sought after it. Just in different ways. Both sons wanted to do their own thing. To fulfill their own desires. So the older son didn't serve his father with love, but he served so that he can fulfill his own dreams, his own desires. They were both lost. And here I want you to, I want to go deeper into the older son and explain different features of him that will help you discern why he was an elder son, his mindset, the elder son's mindset. The first one, the elder son, he was filled with anger, anger. This was because he had entitlement. He had entitlement. So he got angry because life did not go as he wanted it to go. He thought, if I serve my dad, if I serve my father, if I do everything right, morally right, if I do everything, like my life, there's nothing that people can like dissect and say it was a bad life because I did everything well. I didn't do anything wrong. Then I should get the good life. Then I should get the good life. And this did not happen for the elder son. He got angry. This is reality because Christian life, guys, is not about doing something to attain the result. So if you do good, doesn't mean that good results will come. If you serve God diligently, doesn't mean that he will always answer your prayers. It's not work-based. Christian life is not work-based. And Jesus was revealing this to the Pharisees. It's not about your works. That's not what makes you know me. And for the elder son, he ended up getting bitter, bitter towards his father because he did not know his father's heart. He didn't know he had everything. So can you see how everything was twisted? Just his mindset towards his father and life was twisted because he thought, if I live a righteous, good life, that means I will get what I want. And for us, it, it can sort of look like this. If you grew up in the church, there's many times, I'm sure, that you prayed and lived a very good life. For me, for example, I was saying this is very humbling because I'm able to relate more with the elder son than I am the younger son. Straight up. I really tried the younger son thing. I couldn't. It, I lasted like five days and I'm like, I can't do this. It's not me. It's not me. Um, I grew up in the church, raised, I was born and raised in the church. I received Christ at sixth grade personally, right? 
And I, I was exposed to the moving of the Holy Spirit. Everything I knew, I knew God. I, I thought I knew God. And I did nothing wrong. Ever. Okay? So, the temptation I fell into was, man, I'm so boring because all my friends are living this reckless life and then encountering God. And then the testimonies are so powerful, right? And for me, I was like, I didn't do anything. I played the violin. (laughs) I was in yearbook. (laughs) I really loved art. So I was, I was a, I was a dork and I'm proud of it. Right. And really shy, you know, within the church, very holy, you know, my parents, they told me to play, you know, violin, song, like a Christian song, and whatever, whatever. I play in the church. You know, I was that girl. <laughs> right? But like the older son, let me be honest, inside I was dead. Because I thought if I live, if I'm well-rounded, you know, do every club in the world and you're the editor and I do every sport. And if I work really hard, even in my Christian life, like if I read my Bible, pray, all these things, then my future will look amazing. It will look amazing. I will show the world how awesome God is through my awesomeness. (laughs) Doesn't that sound, that's really actually very twisted. Because I was injecting God into my life and saying, God, let me prove you to the world. Let me prove how awesome you are by showing that I lived an awesome life so that I can show people how awesome you are. Does that make, it doesn't make sense, guys. It does not make sense. But for some reason, I thought that way. If I just live a pure life, blameless before the Lord, that I will live a happy life successful life but like i said internally i was dead i was insecure so insecure yeah i had a lot of eating issues i could name like every diet in the world right i never felt good enough no matter how much i studied no matter how much i did all these things i never felt good enough ever And so like this, this elder son, I strived and strived and strived. And when results didn't come my way, I tried to sugarcoat it and make it all holy and be like, oh, but it's okay, God, I still love you. But internally, I was broken. Internally, I was like, why? Why does that person get everything? They lived such a foolish life, God. Why does, I compared like none other. God, I didn't even drink, like, I could count how many times I drank in college. That person can't even count because they were drunk, like, all the time. But how come they get a promotion at work? It's not fair. It's not fair. God, I practiced my violin billion, billion times. How come that person's first chair? Not fair. mad comparing myself to other people 
And as you can see, it wasn't just anger, but I fell into pride. I began to judge people. Outside, I had this like, holy, you know, I'm holy. I don't judge you. God loves you. God loves you. Internally, I was ripping them apart. No, for reals. I was ripping people apart. I was like, at least I'm not like that. At least I'm not like this. I didn't do that dumb thing. The elder brother fell into pride and feeling superior to others. He based his identity on hard work, his smartness in life, right? Not making mistakes, perfect to the world. And it was a means to his own self-righteousness. Me, I compared myself because I was like, it makes me feel better at least. At least I'm not like that, God. The elder brother could not forgive because he felt superior to his younger brother. He couldn't forgive his brother. He couldn't love on his brother because he saw what his brother did and he said, how can you love that father to his father how can you receive him father how dare you not even ask me this elder brother didn't just become angry that poison of anger but it ended up to him being prideful feeling better about himself Not just that holding the poison of unforgiveness towards his brother and his father. He, in verse 30, he says, look, I I spent all these years serving you. Serving you, never disobeying you. Serving you, serving you. That was my motto. God, I served you in the church, praise team, Bible study. You know, I went to church every Friday, Wednesday, Sunday. I did every single prayer meeting. I went to missions. All these things. Yet how come this person's life looks so much better than mine? The elder brother, his mindset was as a servant. He had a slave mentality. He wasn't, the way he thought, he didn't see himself as a son of the house. He saw himself as a slave, where he had to work to receive the approval of his father. So everything that he did to attain his, his, you know, reputation, his freedom, he did it because he was scared that he would fail in life. It was fear-based. Everything was fear-based. So when the younger son, his desire for freedom was to go out and go buckwild. He wanted to taste the world. He wanted to travel. He wanted to see how amazing the world is because that's what he thought was freedom. And the elder son, his means to get freedom was by serving, 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 doing everything right so that he would be recognized by the world. That was his goal. It wasn't God. It wasn't his father. It was so that I can be known to the world. And then when I'm known, that's when I'm going to be free. When I'm known to the world, man, that's when I'm going to know that I am amazing. Me. 
And so many of us believers, like it or not, we have the same mentality. The things we do, a lot of times is based upon how this can make me look the most amazing. How I can be the most famous. How I can be um, the most influential. And we start off very self-focused. The younger son was selfish, but so was the older son. Selfish. The older son did not know how much the father loved him. Because if he did, he would not have done all of that. See, the father responded, everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. But here it it says, um, there's three signs that Tim Keller mentioned in his book that reveals the lack of assurance in the father's love. How the elder brother did not know how much the father loved him. If he only knew how much the father loved him, he would have embraced his brother. He wouldn't have been filled with anger. So one sign is this. If something goes wrong in your life or prayer unanswered, you wonder if it's because you aren't living right in this area or that area. I'm going to say it again. If something goes wrong in your life or a prayer goes unanswered, you wonder if it's because you aren't living right in this or that area. You blame yourself. The elder brother blamed himself. No, he didn't blame himself. He blamed, he blamed his younger brother. But the elder brother, the way he thought was he, everything was work-based. Everything was work-based. So when he didn't see the results, he just got angry. But for us, this is how we're able to relate. When something doesn't go wrong, do you ask yourself, man, what did I do wrong that God didn't bless me? Did I not read the Bible enough? Did I not pray enough? God, why are you not answering my prayers? This is a sign that you may not fully know how much the Father loves you. Two, criticism from others doesn't just hurt your feelings. It devastates you. It devastates you. You sit there and you start going into like, woe is me. Woe is me. I stink. I stink so much. This is basically saying this. God's approval over your life is not enough. It's not enough. You're saying, I need approval from man. I need approval from people. Oh, I'm... This convicted me the most because for me, my whole life, I had a fear of people. So my whole life, I strived and strived to please people, not God. I pleased people. So I played people pleaser. I paid peacekeeper. I was okay with just being the follower. Because I didn't want my feelings hurt. I didn't want people to criticize me. And let's be real. When you live a life zealous for the Lord, there's going to be plenty of people that criticize you. 
plenty of people that's going to mock you and be like, oh my gosh, you're one of those Christians that are like, oh, yes, Jesus. <laughs> you know, oh my goodness, you're like one of those that, oh, you really go to Friday, fi- like you want to go to a prayer meeting? Wow, you, you must be a holy one. You're going to hear these things. Or, oh, like, What's something that I dealt with? (laughs) Oh, for example, you know how I was saying I had a lot of eating problems? And, no, no, this doesn't match. Sorry. Okay, that's not a good example. Moving on. Okay, so if criticism from others doesn't just hurt your feelings, but it devastates you, it, it just kills you from inside. That is another sign that maybe... The Father's love is not enough for you. Three, when you do something wrong, your conscience torments you for a long time, even after you repent. So you repent to God, and and you receive his full forgiveness, but then you just sit there and be like, but no, I am so bad, God. I am so bad. I I don't deserve your love. And you just do this, like, cycle of, I don't deserve this. I'm so bad. No, receive the Father's love, God. And he was saying, he was saying the clearest symptom of this lack is a dry prayer life. A dry prayer life. If you are talking to somebody uh, like a higher CEO, right? You're talking to a CEO. You're going to only talk about like the surface level things. You're going to talk about things that you really, um, that makes you look amazing. Okay. So that you could just gain their favor. If you talk with a friend, you're going to talk to them and share a little bit of your heart. But at the same time, you don't fully trust them. So you're going to only share so much, right? But when you talk to someone that you love, whether it be a friend that you really, really love, your future spouse, you're going to share your whole heart. There's nothing to hide. This goes for God. The Father, do we trust the Father? Do we trust in his love? Then you're able to pour out You're all to him. Here in this parable, both sons, they sought the father for their own personal gain. They didn't want a relationship with him, but they were more focused on what they they can get from their father. What they can get from their father. So as believers, and even if you're not, the way that you live life, do you live it just to gain something? Are we seeking God, like I mentioned with my own testimony? I strived and strived and strived and strived to create this amazing life and then to inject God into it. But there were parts of it where I was like, but God, let me just be in control of, over this. I'll be in control over this, and when I need you, I will let you come in. I'll be in control of this, but when I need you, okay, you could could invade a little bit. The Christian life doesn't work that way. Here in this parable, it shows us two very extremes. Two extremes. But both were lost. And the gospel Jesus 
is not like this. Believing in Christ is not living a super religious life or a non-religious one. Believing in Christ is believing in Christ. Having a relationship with God. Not religion. And here the elder brother, he exemplified religion. Religion. And like I mentioned before, I was saying how in this parable, we see an end for the younger son. But for the older son, we don't. And I feel like obviously Jesus wrote, like Jesus said this parable, right? So there's a meaning behind it. There's a meaning why, behind why he didn't fully go into explaining or finishing that story. Before this parable, Jesus gives us two parables. The first one is about the lost sheep. The second is about the lost coin. Both parables, someone is searching for it. The lost coin, the lost sheep. However, for the third parable, right? The third parable, no one's searching for anyone. So no one goes to search for the younger son. So I have a younger son. So if I'm in this position, I have a younger son, a uh, younger brother, not a younger son. I have a younger brother. I don't have a son. I have a younger brother. And if my brother started going crazy, buck wild, he started, you know, getting arrested or just living a foolish life, right? That I knew, like that I know he will have to pay the consequences for and he runs away from home. As an older sister, I'm not going to just sit there and be like, that's right. You're dumb. I'm not going to sit there and do that. If I love my brother, I'm going to go and search for him. I'm going to go and be like, no. And, and when he comes, I'm going to celebrate. But in this parable, we see that the older brother basically did what I just did. That's dumb. That's dumb. Right? The older brother doesn't search for his younger brother. And... Here we see the reason why is the older brother, his gain, his heart's desire, his heart motive was to get his inheritance as well. Just like the younger brother, he wanted his inheritance. And so with the younger brother coming back, he had a huge cost to pay. Because that means that inheritance that the brother you know, took and squandered, he's back into the house, like he's back in the household, and that two-third remaining of the two-third that remains, that inheritance also will be given to the younger brother. Do you guys get it? And so the older brother knows that there's a cost to pay for his younger brother to come back. So the younger brother freely received, freely received love and you know, acceptance from his father and came back into the home. But the older brother actually has a huge cost to pay. And this is why the older brother was angry and bitter. Because his heart wasn't for the father. His heart wasn't for loving his brother. His heart was to get his inheritance and peace out. To leave. And so the elder brother, what he's worked for, what he slayed for, his inheritance is being taken away by this younger brother. So the young, that's why the older brother, that was just injustice to him. He was like, father, why? It's injustice. What? 
what? And he got angry. And from this, the reason why it doesn't end is because it's making us think, okay, someone needs to end this. There has to be a better older brother. Because this older brother stinks. Right? And here is showing us that Jesus is actually our true older brother. The need for Jesus in our lives. Because Jesus, he came on this earth, right? He paid the cost. He paid the cost. So the older brother didn't do anything. He got angry. But Jesus, he came from heaven to earth to pay the cost through the cross. Just like the older, just like the younger brother and the older brother, we also rebelled against God. We also said, God, I don't need you. I'd rather have you dead. Us saying that we can live on our own is basically saying that, God, I don't need you. You don't need to exist in my life. So we as well alienated ourselves from God, right? And because of this, we also deserve death alienation from God, rejection, all these things. Yet, Jesus came for us. So Tim Keller said, the point of this parable is not that forgiveness always involves a price. Someone, oh, is that forgiveness always involves a price someone has to pay. There was no way for the younger brother to return to the family unless the older brother bore the cost himself. And Jesus Christ, who had all the power in the world, saw us enslaved by the very things we thought would free us. So he emptied himself of his glory and became a servant. Jesus came and paid the cost. He paid it all. He paid it all. And like the older brother, the older brother's heart was so far from God, so bitter, so angry. So angry. The older brother was also lost. Very much lost. And as believers, some of you guys may have encountered older brothers within the church. Some of you guys, like myself, might have been an elder brother. And as humbling as this may be, when I was a student, I realized, man... Oh, I'm the elder brother. (laughs) And I was like, oh, I'm such a sinner, right? And I sat there and I was like, wow, God, I thought this way. Mine wasn't some like, I didn't hold like crazy bitterness or anything like that. But my heart was still distant from God because I couldn't fully receive his love. I couldn't fully live freedom. Live in freedom. And so for those that encountered older brothers in the church, it jaded you. It made you feel, I'm sure, when you go into church, right, and you feel judged, you feel condemned, we start saying, God, this is who you are. And it it twisted even your perception of who God is. Not because of Jesus, but how you were treated in the church by believers. For those of you that can relate to the older 
brother, it's difficult for you to fully receive the grace of God. Because in the end, you're saying, God, I don't need you. I can do it on my own. I'm really, really amazing. That's basically what we're saying. But as believers, it's necessary to recognize that true freedom comes in knowing who our father is and why we were created. And each and every one of you guys were created to have deep relationship with the father. And in the Lord's prayer, it says, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Right? Hallowing God's name, hallowed be thy name. That means to adore, to make the most important in your life. To love, to worship, to praise. And then you pray for the kingdom. Then you petition. Then you repent. For both of these sons, elder brother as well, they thought of everything else before even recognizing the father. If they knew who the father was, if they knew how much the father loved them, how everything in the house was theirs, man, they wouldn't have done half the things they did. They wouldn't have alienated themselves, their minds from the Father. But we as believers, as we recognize, as we recognize that our calling is not what we do. Our purpose is not what we can do for God. But it's recognizing that we are made to worship God in freedom. That's when you say, God, may your kingdom come. That's when you say, God, may your will be done. That's when you say, give us this day our daily bread. If we do the opposite, it ends in death. If we do petition, if we do repentance, give us the kingdom, God, it's servant-based. You're working and working and working. But when you know who the Father is, everything else becomes, you're filled with joy. You're filled with freedom. You're filled with excitement for the kingdom because you're not striving for anything. And this is what I believe God wants for you. This is what I believe God wants for you. And so at this time, I want you guys to close your eyes. And I felt specifically this. Every single person here longs for freedom. And every single person here, you're here because you heard about Christ. You want to live for Christ. You want to maybe know who Christ is. But you're here because there's a longing for something more. There's a longing for something more. And tonight I want to give an opportunity for you to repent and to forgive.